Well, how would you characterize the times in which we live? I Fearful, yeah. COVID-19, election on Tuesday. A word I think would characterize our times is the word immature. Ben Sass wrote a book, a senator from uh, Nebraska, wrote a book called The Vanishing American Adult. And in it, he said, we're living in an America of perpetual adolescence. Our kids simply don't know what an adult is anymore or how to become one. Many don't even see a reason to try. Kurt Vonnegut Jr., a novelist of the mid-20th century, said, maturity is a bitter disappointment for which no remedy exists. <laughs> Any grown-ups say amen to that? F. Scott Fitzgerald, about a half a century earlier, said, being a grown-up, being mature, is a terribly hard thing to do. It's much easier to skip it and go from one childhood to another. So, kids, one more children's sermon for you. It's very possible to grow old without growing up. But what is true of individuals can also be true of churches. Churches can become perpetually immature. They can ride a, a Ferris wheel of, of one trend to another, of the latest thing, of the biggest bang, of the most exciting technology, or churches can grow up. And our passage is a call for us as a church to mature Paul says, into mature manhood. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But, but why the whole passage, if you heard it, you, the whole passage pushes us toward maturity as a church. Why would Paul be so concerned about that? Well, what we're going to see is that a, three practices that we can practice that press us toward maturity. A maturity that will produce unity. First, we are to employ God's gifts. Second, we are to engage God's word. And third, we are to expand in God's love. But look at your Bibles. I hope they're open on your phone or on your, a paper Bible. Imagine that. We are to employ God's gifts. Paul is clear here that in the Christian life, we are not on our own. In context of Ephesians 4, Paul has just talked about Christ ascending to the Father. And when he does... He sends his gifts to the church. Remember when Jesus ascended to the Father? Remember what he says to his disciples? He says, hey, good luck, guys. I'll see you around 20, 20, 25, something like that. Is that what he said? No, he said, wait. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive what? Power. Yeah. You're going to receive power. How did the church receive power? In the person of the Holy Spirit, yes. And the Holy Spirit brought with him gifts for the people of God. So in the New Testament, we're not going to take time to look at it, but there are several lists of spiritual gifts that are given to the believers. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. You can look at those on your own. In all, about 20 different gifts are referenced. No two lists match up perfectly, which tells us something, that there's lots of gifts out there, but the Holy Spirit gives them to the people of God for the building up of the body of Christ. Well, in our passage, Paul says that God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and in an ongoing way, pastors, teachers, shepherds, teachers. But why? To equip the saints, God's people, 
for the building up of the body of Christ. That means, it's so fun, Kyle's gone this week, and so we can talk about him yet again behind his back. <laughs> that means Kyle's primary job is to teach us, to equip us, to do the work of ministry. That's what this passage is about. That we are to employ God's gifts for the sake of the unity of the church. That's what teaching and preaching is all about. God gives gifted people, verse 12, shepherd teachers, to us to build us up as the body of Christ so that we can do the ministry. Now, the unity of the church, watch this, thrives when every member understands that he or she is gifted and then uses those gifts for the building up of the church. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Paul says, watch the analogy. He says, just as every one of us has one body with many members, he's talking about arms and legs and limbs and fingers. We have many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Now here's the analogy. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, Watch this. Each member belongs to all the others. Wow. So I have a friend. Uh, I have more than one, but I have one friend. His name's Elliot. And Elliot and I met each other in fifth grade. We were roommates in college. And I was just with him last weekend in Carmel. So we've known each other quite a while. Fifth grade was like eight years ago for me. And Elliot in college became an excellent musician. I mean, just excellent, a guitar player. And I was his roommate, and I would love it because all the guitar players of the college would come by to hear him play guitar. And when they came, they just said, well, I want to hear you play guitar. And I would just jump on my bed, put my head down, and listen to this absolutely gorgeous music. This guy was good. And last uh, Saturday, Elliot and I were taking a walk in Carmel, and he said, you know, he said, I can't play guitar anymore. He says, my head... I know what I want to play, but I cannot make my fingers do what, what my brain wants them to do because he's been out of practice for about a decade. Now, now think about that. The parts don't work. And so the music isn't made. The unity of Christ Presbyterian Church will be threatened and eventually break down if we don't begin right here and understand that each of us is called to ministry within the church and we are essential every one of you some of us will have a, a special gift in counseling or in discipling or in helping or in administration or exhortation or encouragement or in generous giving Let's be careful here because every one of us is to counsel and exhort and encourage and give, but, but God gifts some people with an extra special gift in these areas. And when we exercise those gifts, we make some great music together. The main point today, a mature church will be a united church. We're looking at three practices. Number one, we employ God's gift gifts. Number two, we engage in God's word. Read this passage this afternoon. It's a very logical passage. God gives shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to build up the body, verse 13, until 
we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. Now that might offend some. Let me tell you what's going on here. Paul is writing to some Greeks, and the Greek ideal of beauty was a mature male. That's what the text says literally, a mature male. So he's taking their, their object of beauty and saying, that's what the church will become. So the primary role of our pastors is to teach God's word, to guide the church into sound doctrine. Now, let me ask you a question. Where would we get a knowledge of the Son of God? That's what Paul wants. Where would we get that? You, you can look at all the beautiful sunsets in Santa Barbara, and you're not going to learn about Christ. You're going to learn about beauty, but you're not going to learn about Jesus. You can study the beautiful music of Ludwig Beethoven or Led Zeppelin, and you're not going to learn anything about Christ. You're going to learn about beauty, maybe with one of them, but you're not going to learn about Christ. Where do we learn about the Son of God? We learn about the Son of God in the book that he wrote, ultimately, about himself. The Bible is a book, ultimately by Jesus and about Jesus. And so Paul reinforces the necessity of grounding ourselves in biblical truth by telling us what we won't be if we are grounded. It's kind of a complex sentence, but if you're grounded, you'll not be. And talk about mixed metaphors. Here they come. You won't be like a child who's in a boat tossed about by the waves, driven by the wind. And that stuff about human cunning and craftiness, that's about cheating and gambling. Paul throws those metaphors together, and together they speak of instability, of fickleness, of constant wavering, of drifting, of rootlessness. And he says, that's not what you will be if you are rooted in Christ, if you come to know Christ. The mature church makes a priority of the study of God's word to learn Christ. I like what Jonathan Lehman said in a book called The Word-Centered Church. He says, you can build a church around a lot of things, about generational tastes in music and decor, around ethnicity, around a choir program, around a denominational identity, around opportunities for young mothers, or a lively singles program, or even the personality of a preacher. Instead, he says, we should build our church on the voice of Jesus as his sheep, who listened to his voice. Remember? The Gospel of John, chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. Where do we hear that voice? In the scriptures. So Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. You know, some churches go here and there looking for the newest thing. Other churches just look at what the world's doing and try to copy it. A mature church is like cold brew coffee. Have you ever made cold brew coffee? You know it's expensive. It takes a long time to make. You put a whole bunch of coffee in, a, in a, some kind of a container, you throw it in your refrigerator, and about a week later you've got some cold brew coffee. It takes a long time. And maturity as a church takes a long time because we have to saturate in God's Word for a long time. The church of 2020 in the United States is faced with a few dozen heresies from New Age thinking, 
to an overemphasis on psychotherapy, to sheer pragmatism, right-wing politics, left-wing politics, what have you. It is imperative that we are tethered to the truth to the truth in God's word. We learn there about Jesus. So I have a, a yacht. I don't know if you know that about me. My yacht is 11 and a half feet long. It's a little boat and it has, it's inflatable. And I use it only for one purpose. I go to Hollister Ranch to go surfing. I took Kyle up there a couple of weeks ago. We had a good time. And uh, up in, I don't know if you know, once you get to Gaviota, it's like you're in a different world and it can be really windy up there. And I've been up there when there's some great, ferocious offshore winds. It's pretty scary. But you throw an anchor into the sand at the bottom of the ocean, 20, 30 feet down. You let out a few hundred feet of line, and the boat just stays there no matter how windy it gets. My yacht, my 11 and a half foot yacht, is tethered to the ocean floor. And a mature church is tethered to the voice of Jesus in the scriptures. A mature church will be a united church. We employ God's gifts. We engage in God's word. Third and last, we expand in God's love. Now watch this, so important. Maturity is not about how well we know the Bible. How many Bibles we own, and, and maybe we've even memorized the Old Testament book of Hezekiah. <laughs> it's very possible to be well-versed, pardon the pun, in these things, and to miss the point entirely. I have commentaries on my shelf written by people who do not know Christ. They know a lot about the book, but they don't know Christ. And Paul here is, is pushing us to the greater thing of actually being in love with Christ. We are to speak the truth in love, verse 15, and build ourselves up in love. So I told you this last time I was a pastor of a church for 39 years here in, in, uh, in town. And one season we had a guy come, wonderful guy, and he came literally to church every service, got involved in what we called home groups. He came for years. Very smart man. He could have passed a theological exam, but he never embraced the gospel. He knew a lot about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. Now, praise the Lord, that story turned out wonderfully because eventually he bowed and prayed and submitted his life to Christ and was born again, and he was a changed man. But this is especially important for us reform types because we, we love to know a lot of good stuff, and praise God for that. But Paul is calling us here to a knowledge of Christ, to be in love with Christ it's possible for a church to know all about Jesus, but not really love him. And it's also possible for a church to be together without rancor, maybe even some harmony, and not really love one another. The maturity that produces unity will always show forth in love. Now, verse 16 is startling. Many of us here, many sitting here today, prob you probably think you are very dispensable, and Paul says you are indispensable. Uh, let me ask you a question. Is your Bible open? Look at, look at verse 16 just for a minute. 
Let's have some fun with this. If you were Paul and you were writing the book of Ephesians, how would you have written verse 16? I'm probably not going to give you enough time for that. I thought about that myself. Here's what I would have written. Therefore, since all this is true, get yourself in order, pray every morning, read your Bible, draw near to God, and be sanctified. That's what I would have written. And the apostle says something that is utterly mind-blowing. Paul says, no, 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 no. The whole body promotes the growth of the whole body. The whole church is required for the spiritual growth of the whole church. That's what verse 16 says. He says, and, and if you want to see if it's working, get instead of getting that little temperature thing and shoot people with it, get your love-o-meter thing and shoot them with it. And ask the question, is this body of Christ growing more deeply in love with Jesus and with one another? That's the measure of maturity. The body, Paul tells us, builds itself up in love. Wow. Now we have to be careful here. Got to be careful because we could become heretics. We're, we're right on the edge of the cliff. Uh, on one side, watch this. All Christian maturity in our lives, all growth in our lives, all growth in the life of a church is by virtue of our being united to Christ. But the startling truth in Ephesians 4.16 that Paul puts forward here is that, watch, you are responsible for my growth. And I am responsible for yours. Do you see that phrase in verse 16? When each part is working properly. Each part. That makes the body grow so that the body builds itself up in love. We are responsible for one another. In the Christian life, maturity is not a solitary endeavor. That's way too easy. It's way too easy to just be you and your Bible. No, no, no. Growth requires resistance. So if you want to get tough and strong and buff, you have to go push weights. What does that do? Breaks down your muscles. And then your muscles repair themselves and you get a little bit stronger. You do that three times a week for 10 years and you look really good. Or not, I don't know. If you want to grow in Christ, you need resistance. You need to hang out with people who are not exactly like you. You need to hang out with people that are here. You need their gifts. You need their quirks. I mean... The church is full of quirky people. I'm the only one here that's not quirky. Oh, please laugh at that. <laughs> Thank you. you. You need to laugh with other Christians. You need to cry with believers. You need to help raise their kids. You, you need to help when, you're, when, when their, their spouse dies. You need their encouragement. You need to encourage them. By the way, isn't this one of the reasons we're so excited about the end of social distancing soon? Because we need to see each other, we need to hug, we need smiles, we need to see the raised eyebrows, we need to hurt each other's feelings and then offer forgiveness, we need dinners together. There's a lot that cannot be gleaned uh, by watching services on our iPhones. 
Verse 16, the body builds itself up in love when every part is working properly. Well, I'm just about done. And I want to give you three negative encouragements. Number one, I said this two weeks ago, stop going to church. Stop going to church because you can't. It's impossible. The New Testament knows nothing of church in 75 minutes on Sunday afternoon at 1.15. You cannot go to church. We can only be the church. Number two, don't idealize your church. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people forego the blessings of marriage because they haven't found exactly the right man or exactly the right woman. And they've convinced they can't have the ideal marriage. Listen, the ideal marriage, there was only one of those. That was in the Garden of Eden, and it didn't last all that long. Don't idealize the church. You say the church is full of hypocrites? Hypocrites? Well, yeah, there's room for one more. <laughs> the church is full of pride? Yeah, we're full of pride. The leadership makes mistakes? Yep. Don't idealize your church. Third, don't date your church. If there's ever an argument for church membership, it is in this passage. A mature church will always be a united church. And as Kyle says, Amen. <laughs>